Welcome to church tonight, everybody. It's so good to be with you as we go into this Christmas season here. And I'm excited just to have a moment to share a message with you that I hope will encourage you tonight. Last week, I talked about the song Joy to the World. And who doesn't love a song about having joy? Christmas is a season of joy. And we said that the joy that Jesus brings will overcome even difficult circumstances that we face. But I feel led this week tonight to talk to the person who might be in the middle of those difficult circumstances, longing for and waiting for things to get better. The tension of Christmas and the emotional power of Christmas is between waiting and receiving. You wait for Christmas to come, and then you receive all the good things that come with Christmas, like presents and time with family and hopefully great things to eat. But there's a waiting and there's a receiving. I remember ordering uh, on Black Friday this exercise bike that I wanted. Okay, I'll just admit it. And I, I wanted to buy it. It was on sale. And I got it on Black Friday. And so I'm excited now. I'm like, I'm ready for this thing to come. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm checking the UPS tracking information because I'm ready. I like, I want to go for it. You know, I'm going to work out with this bike for at least two weeks before I just start hanging clothes on it. And so I'm like checking the tracking information each day. Finally, it says it's going to come that day. I'm like, all right, let's go. But then all the day goes by, nothing. And you know what was going on. You guys remember after Thanksgiving when it rained every single day? It was like the Arizona rain apocalypse. (laughs) Every day it would say package has been delayed due to operating conditions. And then the next day, package has been delayed due to operating conditions. And I'm like, how long is this going to last? I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting really irritated. Like, why don't they just tell me instead of playing games with my emotions? I'm like looking out the window at midnight. Amy's like, I don't think they're coming at midnight. But it's frustrating to wait, isn't it? I think many of us would say, I hate to wait. I hate to wait. But the truth is that most of life is waiting. And so if you say, I hate to wait, in essence, you're saying, I hate my life. Because you're always waiting for something, aren't you? Little baby, waiting to be potty trained, waiting to start school, waiting to finish school, waiting to get a job, waiting to get promoted, waiting to get a spouse, waiting to have kids, waiting for your kids to leave, (laughs) waiting to retire, and then ultimately get to the point where you're just waiting to die. (laughs) And you're like, I'm ready for heaven, you know? And so if you say, I hate to wait, you're saying, I hate my life. You shouldn't hate to wait. Waiting is a part of life. And I believe that through the word of God, we can learn how to wait with joy. Many of us are waiting for something right now. And you might have something on your mind and you're like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a business to take off. I'm waiting for my life to become less stressful. I've been praying and I'm waiting for God to heal me. I'm waiting for a relationship to come into my life. And so if you're longing, if you're waiting, the song that we sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is the perfect song for you. I I love this song. It's one of my favorite songs that we sing at Christmas. I want to talk about it tonight. O Come, Emmanuel. It summarizes the struggle that we all experience between Waiting and receiving, longing and hoping. And that's where we're at. We're longing and we're hoping just like they were up until Jesus first came. Now today we're longing and we're hoping for Jesus to come again. This song, O Come Emmanuel, 
It's a translation of an anonymous Latin hymn. We don't know who wrote it or exactly how long ago it was written, probably about 500 years ago or something like that. And it says, Come and rescue captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. But then there's this sense of rejoicing. Rejoice, Emmanuel will come to thee, O Israel. Right? And there's this idea that I'm longing, but I have joy in the midst of my longing. But this song, it's haunting, and it takes us into the mind of old Israel longing in sorrow for the coming Messiah as they were waiting in slaves in a foreign land. So here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the promise of the Messiah, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So to put yourself in their shoes, God's people, the nation of Israel, they had rebelled against God and broken his commands and worshipped idols and false gods. And obviously, this wasn't what God wanted. He loved them, and he said, don't worship other idols. God had been good to them, but they persisted in doing their own thing. And many of us at times in our life have done things that we knew we shouldn't, and God would kind of nudge us and say, hey, you shouldn't do this, but we kind of would ignore him and continue doing our own thing. That's what the nation of Israel did. God would send prophets to tell them, hey, um, stop worshiping idols, you know, because God... And he doesn't like this, so maybe you should stop. And they were like, nah, don't tell us what to do. And this would go on and on until eventually God had to discipline them. And so he sent a foreign army to conquer them and carry them off into captivity, which is much worse than getting spanked, which is how I got disciplined growing up. But this was hard for them. This was obviously tragic. You can't even really put yourself in their shoes fully because as Americans... We've never been conquered and carried off into captivity, but their homeland, it was torn down and burned to ashes, and all they could do was cry out to God to save them and wait. Wait for deliverance. God promised to deliver them, and this passage is part of that promise that a a Messiah will come to rescue you through a virgin, and you'll call him Emmanuel. But they waited, and they waited and their grandkids waited, and their grandkids' grandkids waited. Probably 20 or more generations were born and died waiting for the Messiah. I feel bad for myself sometimes if I have to wait 10 minutes. <sighs> like a day goes by. Where's my package? Why have you forsaken me, God? Is this a test? And here they are waiting hundreds and hundreds of years. So i got to remind myself sometimes it could be worse, you know. So eventually, the story picks up in Matthew chapter 1, which is the first part of the New Testament. And Mary, who is a virgin, becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm no doctor, but I know that's not normal. And her fiancé, Joseph, also knew that's not normal. So he was asking a lot of questions and kind of freaking out. God had to send an angel to calm him down. We don't know the angel's name. It might have been Zoloft. I don't know. But Gabriel came to Mary. The angel Zoloft came to Joseph. That's just my guess. I don't know. And so Joseph's trying. He's calmed down by this angel. The angel says, Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, what we just read in Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And we get the translation, which means God with us. 
the angel told Joseph, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Messiah would come. After all these years of waiting, hundreds of years, Jesus has come. And here we are 2,000 years later celebrating Christmas. We celebrate that Jesus has come. So why is there still a cry from our hearts that says, O come, O come, Emmanuel? With all those centuries of waiting for the Messiah, you would think that waiting would be over, but now more than ever, we in the church age are waiting in the shadow of Jesus's return. That's because Christian life is a seesaw of celebrating the fact that we're already redeemed, but we're not yet fully redeemed. We're going back and forth between celebrating and sorrow. And that's part of the struggle that we're in. We've already been set free. We've already been rescued. But we're not yet fully enjoying the benefits that we're going to enjoy when Jesus comes again. There's this picture is painted in Scripture for us. Here's a couple examples. Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. That's past tense, right? He purchased, past tense, and he forgave. It already happened. So when you put your faith in Jesus, your freedom was purchased and your sins, they were forgiven. That's already happened. You've been saved. But then we know you have not yet begun to enjoy the full benefits of being saved. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That day has not yet come. So as a Christian, if you ever look around the world and you see suffering, and if you see hardship, and if you experience sorrow, that's because the day of redemption has not yet come. You're already saved. Your future is already secured, but you're not yet living out that future. And so we struggle. Romans 8.23 describes that. It says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. The Holy Spirit in you is like the appetizer of the good things to come. It says, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Our bodies, which suffer, that's a physical representation of all of our suffering in a world that is still affected by sin. Sometimes our bodies suffer, don't they? They don't cooperate. Like I got this little crick in my knee last week and I was like, ow, it's not even that bad. But I'm like, man, I really want to be set free from this body that's broken by sin. I want my new body. I don't want to get hurt anymore. I'm tired of getting colds every flu season. But then, man, I'm tired of living in a world that's corrupted. I'm tired of seeing people fight with one another. The older I get, the more I get tired of division and fighting, and we see the effects of sin all around us. And so even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we still groan. We still long to receive our full rights as adopted children of God. You got an appetizer, but as a Christian, you're sensing and you're longing for the rest of the meal. I want my full rights. I know I've been adopted into the family, but I want the rest of my inheritance. That's normal as a Christian to feel that way. And so we're still struggling at times with sickness and pain and family problems and financial problems. Maybe you've had anxiety, struggle to find your purpose. 
Maybe you're waiting to enjoy the full benefits of being adopted as a child of God. It's coming, but not yet. And so that's why we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. So why does God make us wait? If he has the power to end our waiting, why does he make us wait? Well, have you ever stopped to think, well, if he didn't, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> it's because he's patient. It's allowed me to be saved and be adopted into his kingdom. So we don't know how long he's going to wait, but we should be grateful that he has waited as long as he has. Sometimes we're, we're struggling and we're like, God, why are you making me wait? You know, I prayed, I had faith, I trust you, but I'm still waiting. Why? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. So I don't know the reason why. I don't know how to answer that question for you specifically, but I know some of the benefits of waiting, and I hope that this will encourage you. Here are some of the reasons that God lets us wait. Sometimes God lets us wait to build our faith. If God didn't want a deep relationship with you, he would just give you whatever you ask for. Sometimes we act like becoming a Christian is like getting a membership to Amazon Prime. And we should just be able to throw up our order request and get it with next day delivery. God, where's my delivery? But because God wants a deep relationship with you, he allows you to wait some time. And it would be a lot easier if that wasn't the case. It'd be a lot easier if we only had to be thankful instead of faithful. If God just gave us everything we wanted, we'd only have to be thankful. Thanks, I made an order and you delivered again. Five stars for you, God. But instead, while we wait, we learn to be faithful. And that's important for you as a follower of Jesus. Being faithful, that is when you continue to walk after God and you follow his ways even when it's not perfectly easy. Learning to be faithful is so important for you. When you're waiting, it turns up the volume to amplify whatever is in your heart. If you're anxious, it'll turn that volume up. If you're fearful, it will amplify that. If you're insecure, waiting will amplify that. But if you trust God, waiting can also amplify that. When you're forced to wait, you find out if you really trust God. Sometimes when you're waiting, God's giving you another type of gift. He's teaching you to be faithful. And I know a lot of us hear that and we're like, well, I didn't ask for faith. I asked for a new car. <laughs> but God knows that being faithful and learning to become more faithful and growing in faith, that's some of the best things that he could do for you. That's the best gift he could give you is more faith. I know that sounds very spiritual, but the result is far greater than we can really grasp. Faith is a gift, and God is often giving us the gift of growing in faith when we have to wait. He's teaching us to be faithful. Do you trust God in this season of waiting? He's teaching you to trust him because a faithful life leads to a fruitful life. Fruitfulness does not come to anyone who has not been faithful. And when your life becomes fruitful, it also becomes fulfilling. So most of us don't realize and appreciate the fact that faith is the greatest gift God can give us. And one of the ways that he does that is by teaching us to wait. Second reason God lets us wait sometimes is to instill future appreciation. 
If you think about the fact that when you have to wait for something, when you finally do receive it, you appreciate it so much more, don't you? I mean, it's just human nature that if you were to receive some of the things that you asked for too soon, you wouldn't appreciate them and the joy they were supposed to bring, it would not be fully realized in your life. You think about the guy who's longing for a spouse. He's ready to get married. I know some of you, you remember a time in your life, you're like, man, I am so ready to get married, but you're looking around and the options are limited. And you're praying like, God, send the one, send the one into my life. we got a lot of young adults in this church and you're waiting to get married. And you're like, God, send the one. And you're going to be tempted to rush the process. And I've seen young people, they run off to Vegas and they get married to someone they met in the club. Like, I don't understand why it didn't work out. I married a stripper and we had a lot in common. But why didn't it work out? I'm like, here's your sign, bro. Versus people that do it God's way and they come to church and they grow in their walk with God, and they focus on becoming the right one instead of finding the right one, and they meet someone in their life group, and they become friends, and they go out, and they date, and they get to know each other, and they go through pre-marriage counseling, and they finally get married, and then what happens? They appreciate each other so much more, and because they appreciate each other more, they treat each other better, and because they treat each other better, they enjoy the gift so much more. Sometimes God is letting you wait because he wants you to enjoy the thing that he's actually going to give you. Patience is an investment in future enjoyment. And the third reason God lets us wait is so that the gift will last. So that the gift will last. There are some gifts that require time to build or develop or grow in order to last. If you've ever built a home, a lot of people in the East Valley have had to build their homes Anybody here ever build a home? You had to oversee that process. It takes time, right? If you went to the builder and you contracted a builder to build your home, and they said to you, I'm going to build your home for you. It's going to take me about uh, six days. You say, you know I'm talking about a house, not a tree house, right? Like, how can it be done in six days? Well, we pride ourselves on speed. (laughs) It's like, I don't need it fast if it's not going to last. There are some things that God wants to give you, but if he gives them to you too quickly, they might not last. Some of the most important things in our lives, they take time to develop. Like we think about finances. In order to have financial stability, man, oftentimes you've got to build that wealth up slowly over time. Proverbs actually says that wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We don't want to grow our wealth little by little, do we? We want the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes to come to our door. That'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? Like, just leave me an inheritance from some uncle I never knew existed. God, can you just give me a winning lottery ticket? Well, he knows that if he did give you that, it would seem fun for five minutes, and then you'd be bankrupt like most of the other people. There was one guy named Huntington Hartford who in 1923, he inherited $90 million at the age of 12 years old, which in today's money is $1.3 billion. How many of you say, man, when I was 12, I could have really used $1.3 billion. I could have bought a lot of ice cream cones and Power Rangers and I don't know, whatever else it is that 12-year-olds buy today. Like, but would you be shocked to hear that he went bankrupt by the time he was 70? How do you get $1.3 billion and go bankrupt? Well, I guess Proverbs told us, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. 
So God knows that to build financial stability for the long term, you got to learn to operate within a budget and to give and to save and to deny yourself and exercise and learn self-control. And that leads to wealth that lasts. Or romantic relationships are another good example. Most people in life long for some type of romantic relationship. And I've seen many people rush into it. And I've seen other people take their time. It takes time to develop love. It takes time for love to flourish and to blossom into something that's strong, that will last. On the other hand, lust can happen in a moment. Lust often only lasts a few moments, depending on the person. Is that too real for some of you? Like, this is where people come to deal with the fallout when they make bad choices. So why shouldn't we talk about how to avoid them? I'm just trying to encourage some of you, like, it's not worth it. Like, I want you to understand, don't trade the promise of God's blessing for a few moments of pleasure. Trust that God's way is better. It takes time to develop love. God wants to give you good things, but he knows that if he gives them to you too quickly, they won't last. Sometimes when we're waiting, we wonder if God really loves us, but the fact that God is letting us wait is because he loves us. It would actually be cruel for God to give you something that you weren't ready for. Just like a parent doesn't give his little 12-year-old son a new car at his 13th birthday, right? Because that would be criminally negligent, not loving. And God, he knows. He knows when we're ready. Do you trust God to know when you're ready? That's the question that we all have to wrestle with. It's easy to say it, but it's harder to wrestle with it when you're in the middle of something that you really feel like you need and you're praying, God, I need you. I need you to deliver. And he's saying, you're not ready for this yet. You want to have your faith tested? Live through that moment. Like, God, am I going to trust you when I don't get what I want or only when I get what I want? I've seen a lot of Christians walk away from God like, oh, well, it didn't work out for me because he didn't give me what I ordered on time. And and I just don't want you to have that kind of weak faith. If you're struggling with the sorrow of waiting, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it refers to Jesus by several titles that come from Scripture that I think can encourage us while we are in a season of waiting today. One of the titles in the song, he's called The Rod of Jesse. refers to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesus descended from the family of Jesse. David was Jesse's son, and he became the greatest king in the history of Israel. But that kingdom was destroyed when foreign armies conquered that kingdom. All God's people were carried off. The kingdom of Israel looked dead, like flatline. Beep! No hope for a future. But the promise is that the Messiah would come through that family line and that out of that stump of deadness would come a new branch of life. That's what the rod of Jesse is. It's a new branch coming up out of what looks like a dead stump. There was hope for Israel and there's hope for us today, even when we're facing things that look like they're dead like dead dreams in your life. You gave up already. You buried that dream. You gave it a funeral. You don't even talk about it anymore. That dream's dead. Or maybe you have a dead relationship where you're like, she'll never talk to me again. I'll never see that person again. Like we're never, we'll never be friends again because that relationship is dead. But the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ can bring life back to even dead stumps. 
That's where there's hope and encouragement. You might be in a season of waiting, man, but Jesus can bring life back to what looks dead. He's the rod of Jesse. He's called in this song the day spring. The day spring refers to Luke 178. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Maybe you've gone through a difficult day where nothing is going right, everything is going wrong, and you're just like you're living in a nightmare. But at least in those moments, you have the hope and the promise that this day must end. Eventually, it's going to end, and then there's going to be a new day that begins. And so there's hope that the next day will be better. God's people, they were in captivity, and they were hoping that there would be a new day. They are going through a multi-century season of darkness, but they're longing for the Messiah to come as a new day. In this song, he's actually referred to the day spring. It's like saying Jesus is the sunrise of a new day in your life. And so if you've been trapped in a season of darkness, maybe the darkness of sin or the darkness of depression or gloom that comes with sorrow, Jesus is a new day. He brings a new season of hope into your life. You've been struggling. There's a new season coming if you know Jesus. Even if you're just waiting for Jesus to return, if you're waiting for the promise of heaven, there's a new day coming in Jesus. For everyone who trusts in him, there's a new day, a new season coming. In this song, he's called the Key of David. This is my favorite part. He's called the Key of David. Refers to Isaiah 22. It says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. There's times that you've probably felt trapped or stuck. Like you can't get ahead. You can't get some addiction off of your back or some burden that you've been carrying around. You can't get free from guilt. Or at one point in our lives, we were all slaves to sin and far from God, and we felt stuck and enslaved by sin. If you've been enslaved to sin, you know that this is true. You don't know you're a slave to sin until you're set free from sin. And once you come out of the jail cell, you're like, oh, I'm glad that that happened. Jesus is the key of David. That means that he comes along, and for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, Jesus unlocks the jail cell door and opens it up to set you free. And then not only does he let you out of prison, but he unlocks the key. He unlocks the doorway to the kingdom of God that ushers you into all of God's blessing for your life. Right. So here, here's Jesus. It says, no one can shut what he opens and no one can open what he shuts. So what that means is he lets you out of the prison cell and then he locks the door behind you and he says, no one's putting you back in there. And then he opens the doorway into the kingdom of God and he says, no one's keeping you out. So if you've ever felt trapped, Jesus is the key of David. You need to call on him to set you free. And if you feel stuck like you can't get ahead, you need to know that Jesus is the key of David that opens every door to God's blessings for your life. So if you're longing and you're waiting for dead things to rise or for a new day to begin your life, or if you're waiting to be set free from something, it can be hard. But the good news is that you can have joy while you wait. The Lord doesn't want you sitting around saying, I hate to wait. Because he doesn't want you hating your life. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, our hearts ache 
but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Well, what's this talking about? How can you have a heart that aches and yet always have joy? How can you be longing for something? And it says we have nothing. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. What does that mean? It means even when you're waiting for something, you're not incomplete. You already have everything that you need because you have Jesus. As a Christian, if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. Emmanuel, it literally means God with us. So Jesus came to earth to bring God to you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, God is with you. He's not a far off distant God. He's not a God you're trying to get your prayer requests through to. He's already with you. And so oftentimes we find ourselves longing and yearning for things, thinking, well, I'm praying for this thing, and when God gives me this thing, then I'll be complete and I'll be happy. That's the wrong mindset. It shouldn't be us praying for God to give us the thing that we're waiting for. We should be praying and asking for Jesus to come and wait with us, to be with us. And See, joy is not found in the thing that you're praying for. It's found in the person who you're waiting with. Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to earth to be with us. He comes into our lives to be with us. And when you know he's with you in the waiting, you don't have to worry. You can worship God. When he's with you in the waiting, you know you're not incomplete. You have everything that you need. Don't think that because God is letting you wait, he's turned his back on you. It could be that he's giving you the gift that you needed. It could be that he's teaching you to grow in faithfulness, which will prepare you for greater opportunities in the future. He hasn't forgotten you. He's the faithful God. He's sometimes teaching us to be faithful people. He hasn't forgotten you. He's on your side. He's going to open every door that needs to open for you in the right time. He hasn't forgotten you. He came to set the captive free. He hasn't forgotten any of you. He hasn't left anyone behind yet. You can trust him as one of his people, as one of his children. Every good gift that God has for you is going to come into your life at the exact right time. You can trust God on this. If he gave you the thing that you're asking for at the wrong time, it wouldn't be a good gift any longer, would it? Do you trust him that our powerful God has become your personal friend? That's the story of Christmas. A powerful God has become your personal friend. Jesus is with you in the season. What are you waiting for? To get healed? To a new relationship? To have a new friend come into your life? To have a new home? A new job? An increase in finances? Whatever it is you're waiting for, God is with you in the waiting. Trust him in this season of waiting. He is with you in the waiting. Would you stand to your feet at this time? I just want to pray for you. Let's pray together, and whatever it is that you might be waiting for today, just lift that need to God. He knows. But let's just pray together right now. God, we thank you that you're always in control. You're always good, and you're always on time. You're never late for a delivery. 
We can trust you in every situation. God, you know that we've brought in prayer requests to you. We've lifted up needs to you. We've asked for you to intervene. And sometimes you don't operate according to our schedule because you're committed to operating according to the perfect schedule. And I pray that we would trust you in every season of waiting, that anyone who is waiting tonight would know he or she is not incomplete because they're waiting. You are with them and they have everything that they need. Your joy can fill us up even in the midst of having a heart that aches. We long for and yearn for, we yearn for to to be fully redeemed from sin, but yet we know we can have joy because in you we have everything we need. You know every need that exists in this room, Lord, and we lift these needs to you and we trust your timing. God, we know that you're able and that you're in control, that you're close to the broken heart that you're our healer and our provider, and we trust you to do it again the way that you've done it before. You're good and you're faithful, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.